0: So did you watched Shield this uh, last week? Uh, yeah, I, I just I think you know that's it's possibly the lamest group of supervillains. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I don't actually have any superpowers at all, but I have these razors in my hand. Oh God, she oh, was...
1: Well, you know, I couldn't, couldn't believe that just, was. Couldn't, couldn't this... you just be just as threatening with a utility knife? <laughs> but she's got ten utility knives on.
0: You know Five what? on each I mean, hand.
1: It's it's a lame superpower. I love that they have Angar the Screamer though. Although that was pretty cool. That and the um the the uh, pumped up on, on whatever steroids uh, um Yeah, the little dude. Yeah. yeah. Little anything dude.
0: Back to the band. hey everybody and welcome to back to the bins i am paul spitaro and i am joined by my comrade in arms dr bill robinson hello he isn't the highest paid color man in the in the business for nothing <laughs> uh dr bill is here to lay to rest the, the nickname
1: of bookless bill for at least one week Booklist Bill and I'm going. I'm doing synopsis old school Dr. Bill style. No notes. The Bill style. Freestyle
0: baby. You know what? I, I listen to the commentary monthly Mondays, and if if or or the commentary Mondays, whatever you want to call them, but if I don't get a in is, in every in <laughs> every movie they do, I, I get kind of upset.
1: I just did one in the uh, podcast I did with Luke Jack and Eddie when we discussed The Last Dinosaur. I uh, threw in a uh, in there. Anyway, so we're gonna see if
0: <laughs> if we can get through our books and get some email reads. So I think we're gonna dispense with the preliminaries today and jump right into the books. Dispense with the chit chat.
1: Yeah. The rigmarole. The hub hub What you got for us today, Dr. Bill? I've got me an X-Men. X-Men annual. King size, baby. Number six from nineteen eighty-two. Cover price one dollar. Still. 75 cents more than Professor Allen would pay. And we have, as our guys that do the stuff inside. Oh, I can't find that. Where is it? Well, anyway, it's Bill Sankevich. It's on it's on the splash page, which is, oh, is it on the splash second page? page. Second page of story. Oh, there it was. It was oh it was hidden in Dracula's cloak. Sorry. It's, it's hidden it, it's hidden in a box that's it's a, color in a big, that big white goes. box on the blue cloak. Yeah, yeah. Shut up. Anyway. Shut up. Shut up. Shutting up. Anyway, we have uh, Chris Claremont as our writer. Bill Senkevich as a penciler. Bob Wycheck as the inker. Tom Orzakowski, the letterer. Glynis Ween, which is her name at this time, is the colorist. Louise Jones is the editor. And is, doesn't Louise Jones become Louise Simonson? She does, indeed. And uh, Jim Shooter is the Ed in Chef. Oh, that's Chief. Sorry. And the name of our story is... Blood feud, but before we get into the story, back to the cover. We have a lovely Senkevich drawing, and we have Storm in a rather um, naughty type of gown. Clearly, and sh- clearly, brazier free. Y- yes, yes, she is. Uh, she is almost letting the puppies breathe, just so so to speak. Um, and you know what? So this is 1982, and doesn't this cover remind you of uh, Crisis, which comes along in eight of Crisis? Sure. Uh, seven. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I mean, that's not a. It's uh... such
0: a classic pose, and it's been done so, so many times, so many times before this one. Nevertheless, crisis. Yeah, because didn't Cyclops do this thing with Jean Grey too? Cyclops did it with Jean Grey. Cyclops did it with Professor
1: X. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm.
0: Superman did it. I, I can't tell you how many covers
1: Superman did it with Lois Lane. Well, yeah, it's the classic pose of one character holding another. And, you know, they're the all limp, lifeless body, the limp li- and their 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 head is raised to the sky in, in a cry. But the twist here is that Storm is has fangs and there's blood dripping from her mouth and on Kitty Pride's neck, because Kitty Pride is the 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 slack, the corpse, as as, as as it would be, is the the corpse in her hands. And there is puncture marks in her neck as Dracula looks on laughing in the background and uh, all strewn about her feet are the X-Men, either uh, either been bitten or just knocked out. Uh, we have Colossus, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, and Wolverine, and they are all strewn about on the floor. Looks like each one of them has a belly ache. Every one of them has. You know, a they are all their holding their stomach. <laughs> maybe they had some bad Thai food before they came.
0: Maybe, maybe Mr. Sinkevich, despite the fact that he drew a fine cover, maybe he just kind of was a little unoriginal in how he posed each of them.
1: Well, we'll we'll get back to the cover later. So inside, we we have uh, a young Rachel von Helsing, and she is uh, she's decided she's the the vampires are dead. She wants to get on with her life. So now she's become a teacher at Bard College, which is of course in New York, a just just outside of New York City, ninety miles, which is probably pretty close to I don't know Xavier's, probably. And ninety miles is not just outside. <laughs> 90 miles is a long ride. Not by Blackbird yet. Okay, well, do you think the average student is going by Blackbird? If they're, if they're at Xavier's mansion, but this is Bard College, so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, Rachel is um, she is, uh, she comes into she's, she's home, she's glad that her, her day is done, she walks in, boom bam, standing in her house is Dracula. Now, how did he get in? Does, doesn't he have to be let in? That is the vampire legend, but. Yeah, so I mean that's I that's know. the first little nitpick that I've got. But anyway, that he basically says, oh, you look surprised to see me, blah blah blah. <laughs> uh, Your cursed family has been the bane of my existence tonight, my darling Rachel. Here our ancient blood feud ends. Uh, but before that goes any further, we skip to a screaming kitty pride storming around in the x mansion as all the other x-men look on like they have no idea what to do with a screaming teenager and basically her parents are getting are still ending up getting a divorce and she's having a hard time dealing with it which i can as being a child that had divorce i feel for i've been there of course i couldn't phase through walls but you know still i understand her feelings so you know you She's confused, she's angry, she feels like it's her fault, it's their fault, so she storms upstairs, leaving everybody to just, you know, basically fend for themselves and not really know what to do, and basically cries herself to sleep as something, a mysterious shadow looms above her and disappears, and she goes off to sleep. But as she awakens later around midnight, she, she thinks that, you know, well, perhaps I shouldn't have been such, you know, such a brat, blah, blah, blah. And um, Storm actually is there by her, but Storm's eyes are kind of funky. Her they're kind of red. And then suddenly um, she pulls Kitty into her arms, and she's got fangs. And waha right on the neck, sucks her blood, tosses her like a little rag doll, and then she goes off and bites Colossus, Wolverine, Cyclops, and Nightcrawler in quick order. And then like B. Arthur on methamphetamines and some type of bat hormone turns into a bat, flies off, and meets up with Dracula just on the outskirts of town and uh, I do have to say there is some rather uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for well placed hair in a lot of these photos, oh excuse me in a lot of these pictures as uh, she has no clothes on but all all the naughty bits are being covered by her hair, so anyway she meets up, smooches with Dracula, but then ho ho, she awakes with with the sweats, with more well-placed hair covering the naughty bits, and realizes, oh, that was a dream. But she thinks I've been summoned by Dracula. Now let me ask you this, Paul: Do you remember Storm being able to change into her costume by using lightning? Did I did I miss that somewhere? I've never heard of that being a power,
0: <laughs> but yeah, because... I have. But I have seen issues where she's done that. So I never understood exactly how she goes about doing it. I'm thinking that it's just an effect and that's not really what she's doing.
1: I Well, I don't know. It's it No, because she says, there was that was no war barely dream. I've been summoned by Dracula. And she says, I will obey. And there's this big energy crackle. And then the same sentence follows. It says, I will obey, dot, dot. And then next panel, dot, dot. Because he threatens the lives of the souls of those I love. And she's in costume. I'm, gi- I'm just giving her autistic license on it. Cause, yeah, okay. Because I don't think that's one of her superpowers.
0: I don't think, you know... Controlling the, the weather somehow gives you the ability to
1: conjure up a costume out of nowhere. I mean, maybe you could conjure up a fog so you could change clothes, you know, no. without everybody seeing but, you. and
0: I mean, and that's a comic book trope, too. I mean, you've seen times where, like, Superman goes into the phone booth.
1: Yeah, but he's he Superman. He
0: can move fast. Well, or Peter Parker, you, you know, the same thing. It's, it's eh. just a comic trope to do that, where they they have one thought and then they finish the other, you know, changed into costume. All right, I, I think okay. it's just for dramatic effect. It's not, you know, anything beyond that. Now, in this, they actually show the bolt of lightning and then show her in the other costume, uh, which is, when you think about it, it's kind of dumb because she doesn't have that
1: superpower, but whatever. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll move along. So she um, as she, as she's a la anyway, as she's uh, as she's um, begins to fl- to fly away she realizes uh, or she thinks back to x-men 159 which happened i think about 10 issues prior to this that um she had been bitten by dracula before but he had said he had pledged to release his hold on her but you know he lied eh, eh, he's a vampire he's a blood sucker so you expect him to, to tell the truth anyway as she's flying away she's being watched by kitty who seems to not quite be herself as she says, uh, she answers a call at last, the final game is afoot. And she goes into Peter's room and starts to make the uh, the not so subtle moves on him. And he's kind of taken aback and then the door slams and you hear a arg, And that seems to be all for what's going on. So now we cut back to Storm and she's flying to a, uh, a um, castle. Uh, actually, it's a day later because uh, Storm has flown roughly 3,000 miles from the United States to England. Again, I'm not sure that's within her abilities. (laughs) I think they're taking a little license here. I don't know. Maybe she went really, really high. She slept for a while, coasted on some winds. Uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But maybe it's the vampire uh, powers in her. Of course, kind of. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, she's led to the castle. She blasts the door open, and she comes inside and meets... Rachel von Helsing, and she now, is now again. I'm sorry
0: to interrupt you, Bill, but when, since when did she have the ability to shoot blasts from her hands?
1: Yeah, I, I was gonna let that go too, because I thought that when I was reading, it's like you know she's got this directed energy blast, not a not lightning. This is like coming out of the end of a Star Wars blaster in the old Star Wars Marvel comics, a big orange ball that's like what ten times this She looks like she's doing a Kamehameha wave from uh, from Dragon Ball Z, there or something. And she just blows blows the door right away. So yeah, that's another thing that's a little uh, off. Hey, but maybe she's o- overpowered with the with the vampiric po- powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's... yeah, yeah. That would be great. Except no, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. <laughs> so she goes inside and meets Rachel Van Helsing, who is now. Uh, Dracula's consort, there's a lovely uh, dinner has been prepare- prepared there's a, uh, a nice little cheese on the glass, a little turkey some wine, some grapes, none of which Dracula will eat, of course <laughs> because he drinks blood anyway, uh, and she realizes that Dracula can also read her mind so she can't really hide her thoughts uh, and he basically, she is his pretty much his thrall And but he has a job for her to do uh, that only she can do. So he ends up taking her to the town of Pendaro, or Pendero depending on how it's pronounced. I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, Mr. Leyland will send in a pr- proper pronunciation. I think he lives in Pendaro. Pendaro is, is it in the north? I don't know. No. I've never heard of it before. <laughs> but anyway, the fortress uh, that they uh, appear before, because. Uh, uh, I guess Storm uses her powers to fly there because we also see two bats behind her, and then poof, there's uh, Rachel and Dracula. Basically tells her, you gotta go in there and get something for me because it's built on holy ground. Holy ground, Highlander! And he can't go in. Even getting this close is really making him uncomfortable, like a rash. Alright, doesn't say that, but you know. Anyway, she slinks into and gets past all the security uh, uh, measures, etc, etc. But as she's doing this, boom, she gets shot in the back, or shook, with a crossbow, and she turns and falls off a little ba- a balcony, and there before her is Kitty, and she's really confused, why is she trying to kill me, has she gone mad, and before she can think really what's going on, Colossus cl- slams through a wall, distracts her, which allows Kitty to actually go and steal what they've been after, and it is the Montesi formula, and... She uh, basically says, you know, now that she has it. Dracula will be dust. So, Storm still confused, beats feet, is picked up by Dracula, um, and then apparently she blacks out. And we next cut to chapter three where she is in Egypt and she's reliving the uh, what would happen with her, with her parents when she was buried underground. Which I didn't realize it was something to do with a like a plane coming down. I didn't quite remember that. I thought it was like an earthquake or just a regular explosion. It's um, been a while since I read her origin. I remembered that she was buried alive, but not that it was because of a, uh, a crashing plane. Buried, anyway. alive. buried alive. Dracula! Oh wait, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> At
0: least she so, got the reference.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so she 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 wakes up and realizes that she's in a coffin. And um, she also licks her lips rather, her teeth rather seductively, checking, and she has no fangs. She's still alive. She's still human. But uh, Dracula says, You're still my bitch. I mean, you're still my thrall, slave, whatever. And uh, before he can go much further to actually make her a vampire, in come the X Men. Not really sure how they found her, (laughs) but I don't really care. So, anyway it's on like donkey kong and the the first one to actually draw blood is um nightcrawler as he is able to grab a spear that dracula had originally chunked at cyclops to throw through his chest and wolverine deflected it knocked it into nightcrawler's hand and nightcrawler spears dracula through 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 the chest but rachel comes in pulls it out of him and saves him there's more fisticuffs and melee as uh Dracula gets away again as Kitty had burst in also during the fight Kitty and Colossus and they are tracking down Dracula disappear from the fight um all right and this is where oh that's right i remember now this is see this is why i should take notes but hey i'm sure everybody's loving this rambling on so I remember now why they, how they got here, is that Kitty swiped the Blackbird to follow her. So there you go. That's how they got here. Now, do you remember uh, Storm being team leader at this time? Yeah, I think she was. I think. Uh,
0: sorry, I think this is it. This. Uh, sorry. <clears throat> <clears throat> this, am, am I, I this... keeping you up? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I think this occurred uh, just shortly after Cyclops had taken his leave of absence. When, when Gene had died, and in his absence, I think, Storm well, no, took over dude, as the this leader. this
1: happens after 159. I think it's almost into, like, the ones, mid-160s, I think, when Paul yeah. Smith was the artist. Yeah. So, so
0: oh, this Gene, is Gene right. Gene had
1: died, and Cyclops had
0: left. And, and while, when he left, Storm became team leader. Ah, that's
1: and, right. And then in an issue,
0: right. I think it was, like, 202, he come he, not well. He comes back on a more permanent basis.
1: Well, it was, like, 202. Two he challenges two
0: her two for the
1: uh and Yeah, it was like. Yeah, that was, that was one with the, with them fighting and the big question mark on the front, I think, who will lead or something.
0: Oh, yeah. I
1: remember the question mark, but okay. Uh, huh. So, they decide to search for Dracula now that they've all gotten back together. And uh, and a very nice shot, um, Cyclops basically bores a hole down. What do you think? That's about 40, 50 feet straight down in, in, into the ground to like a, a secret hidden metallic... <laughs>
0: As, as drawn, I would say, yeah, that's got to be a yeah. fit, 40, 50 feet easy.
1: Yeah, which I, I got to note about that because there's like this nice, this modern looking catacomb down in the bottom of, uh, you know, 50 feet down underneath this castle. Uh, but anyway, they make it down there during the, during the next fight they have with Dracula because uh, Dracula was fighting Colossus again. But um, and actually Dracula does a, I guess you would call it a... Um, I don't know a reverse fastball special or something kind of because he chucks Colossus at Wolverine and he misses him luckily and Wolverine goes in to attack Dracula but he gets bitten and now he's Dracula's thrall and he goes after the X-Men. Now Storm is next fighting Rachel but Rachel's able to regain her her humanity and while that's happening and nobody's paying attention. Kitty starts to read the Montesi formula, but Nightcrawler jumps in. Basically, he's telling her, "Don't read the kitty in the name of God. Be silent. Oh, if you read this, little your soul will be forfeit." Blah 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 blah. So, more exposition as Dracula explains who Kitty really is and that she has been possessed by his daughter Lilith, not to be confused with the Lilith from Fraser. No joke on that. Okay. <laughs>
0: I I wasn't expecting that. I didn't have anything prepared. Okay. I was told there'd be no math.
1: Oh, sorry. So, uh, they um, Dracula goes and smacks Hank Pym style his daughter. That's not very nice. And out of nowhere, Kachunk He gets a a spear through the heart, and he's shocked to see that his thrall Rachel has basically broke his hold. And she pulls out a crucifix, or actually two pieces of metal, makes a crucifix. Oh, these are the candle holders, actually. And you know, gives him the old whammy, kills him. Now, vampire lord, when you kill the vampire, doesn't doesn't it usually kill all the minor vampires? Or am I getting that confused with uh, like um, the vamp- the Lestat novels? I think you're thinking of Billy and Mandy save Christmas when they had to kill the head vampire. Mm,
0: maybe. Did you did you ever see that? It's, I might have. It's, uh turns out Mrs. Claus is a vampire because she gets pissed off at Santa for ignoring her. And she bites him on the neck and turns him into a vampire. Santa Santa's voiced oh, that's by Gilbert right. Gottfried.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, oh, that, that's been a long... Yeah. <sighs> Holy cow, I forgot about that. Anyway, <laughs> with Dracula dead... See, this is where I'm saying this, uh, these really modern-looking... this. Metal. I don't know. It looks like a metal floor because it's shiny down there in the catacombs unless it was polished marble. But anyway, they start to run because now the Dracula is dead. The entire castle collapses and falls into the sea. Huh? Yeah. So with Rachel standing, um, she basically knows that death by sunlight is slow and agonizing. And she asks for a stake to the heart and Storm goes to do the deed. But no. Wolverine grabs a stake and says, killing's my profession. And as Rachel and he come together in a tight embrace, we have a chunk sound. And as she looks over his shoulder, she sees the sun rising as her body dissolves and she turns into a skeleton. Now, the only thing left to wrap up is that Lilith is still in possession of Kitty's form. But now that uh, her father is dead, she no longer... Needs Kitty's form, it basically decides to split. And she says, Ah, I didn't take over all of you because I wouldn't have been able to con- control all of you. And I'll release Colossus 2. And basically, that's the end of, of our book. And um, the last two panels show Wolverine sitting looking at the sunset. And he says, How's the kid? And Storm behind him says, Confused, tired. She remembers nothing since her tantrum the other day. Good. That's it. It's over then. And Storm says, is it the end? Question mark. dun. Ba, ba, ba. Thanks for sending me Billy and Mandy. <laughs> well, we're off. Yes, we're off. We're off, off to save, save Christmas. Christmas. Off to save Christmas. And we're cold. Super cold. Yes, we forgot our jackets. Cause we didn't bring our jackets So we'll freeze And we'll Can
0: it, you two? All right, Baron. If you know the way, let's hear it. Cause we're lost.
1: And we're lost! Oh, so lost! And we can't feel our fingers No, we can't feel our- I said, knock it off. Great. I get to spend Christmas Eve with a couple of dorksicles.
0: see my kids, do that all the time. We're off like when we're, when we're going somewhere, we start and we're off. Oh yes, we're off, and we can't feel our fingers. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but anyway, uh, then you got me watching it. Sorry. Okay. All right. Back to the book. Want to uh, start the discussion on this thing, or you want me to jump in onto it? Well, I've babbled enough. I'm sure everybody's going. Oh Jesus! Shut him up. <laughs> I, I doubt that people are very tolerant of you <laughs> I like this annual I've always liked this story um, this was uh, even though it's Bill Senkevige this is before his uh, I don't know what do you want to say his artsy phase or when yeah, this this is a when... much
0: lighter Bill Senkevich. this is this is closer to a Mike Grell or Neil Adams type style than it is to but, the. The very, very dark Neil Adams. I'm rather.
1: Is that more on the inker, though? Because who inked him on. Um... Moon Knight? No. Uh, well, that in uh, New Mutants. I'm not certain, honestly. Is uh, that Bob Whitechick? I'm curious. Vamp, vamp, Paul, vamp.
0: You, you could talk. <laughs> Soft and warm and cold. Girl from Nima comes
1: walking. Oh, while while you're vamping, uh, and I'm trying to look this up, uh, I'll tell the listeners about what happened when I was in uh, Tallahassee. Remember when I messaged you? Yes. And I was working up in Tallahassee. Didn't you give this story already? Did I? I don't don't know. I thought I messaged it to you.
0: Yeah. I sent you a message. I know we discussed it and... I know yeah, I've, well. I've heard enough of
1: it. <laughs> well, then we'll just leave them wondering. Uh, Bob McCloud, McCloud was the penciler okay. on New Mutants. But I guess looking at that cover, it's... uh Oh, well, Bob McCloud was the cover artist. <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. Yeah, the, I guess... I, oh, no, wait a minute. No, he didn't take over until 25. So McCloud did the first... Duh. Hold on. Let me go to like 25. I was, think that was about when he took over, wasn't it? I'm not sure. Oh, it's okay. He did all the art at least on 25 he did there is no um no well the, the page during the dream sequence
0: when when she's basically killed them all that looks pretty much like traditional Sienkiewicz to me well so does the cover the cover looks like yeah i mean the cover is but otherwise it's it's the the, the line work is a little thinner than uh than the really really dark Sienkiewicz. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's not quite as shadowy not quite as dark and it shows you, it shows you that that he could be a good artist without being stylistic, or without being quite as stylistic as uh, as he eventually became, or as he became in other things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I mean, I like the artwork in this book. In fact, I, I for my for my purposes, I probably like this a little bit better than the really, really dark one stuff that he's drawn. So some of it gets a little too experimental for me.
1: Yeah, like with. I remember the first time I read some of those, uh, of the, the new mutant stuff with the, with the whole demon bear thing. I was like, wow, what is this? This, yeah. this is, this is really out there. I mean, it's good. It's, it's not, yeah, I, mean, it was, I don't mean to put it, was it down. Different. No, it was, it was just different. And, but it kind of fit that whole demonic bear storyline with, uh, with, uh, Danny Moonstar and, and, and all of that. So
0: when, uh, when storm went out, on, on the mission for Dracula, do you think she stole one of the Black Widow's costumes?
1: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, she's 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 got she's got the uh the well it is just a tight fitting bodysuit. She's got the black it, the black jumpsuit with the but she stole Batman's utility belt. utility belts thing on that the the only thing she needs is the little blasters at her wrist.
0: Yeah, yeah, and she, and, and it's basically
1: the Black Widow costume. Mm-hmm. But she'd have to have it like open all the way to her navel, right, in the front. And what would be wrong with that? Hmm. Well, my God, she's naked through a good part of the book as it is. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But th- this is, to me,
0: this this is what annuals should be like. There's there's two two things that I'm good with on annuals, either a, a story that uh, is a very dramatic conclusion to an ongoing tale, like mm-hmm. uh, what what they did with. Uh, The Avengers annual and and the Spider Man or the Marvel team up at, no, not not Marvel team, Marvel 2 and 1 annual, where they were ending the
1: Thanos story. Oh, yeah, that was number seven, was it not? Yes, I believe so.
0: Yeah. Or a very good story that's self contained, not a story that, that, is like an inventory story that has no meaning whatsoever that they just throw in there to get rid of, you know, to, to give a a young artist, a test shot or to use up the crap that they have sitting around, which a lot of the annuals seem to become
1: after a while. Well, cause before this, and um, I want to give a shout out. I don't know if they listened to X aspirations. um, They cover uh, the X-Men issue by issue. And something that I had forgotten was that a lot of the early X-Men annuals were just reprints of other issues, you know, yeah. they would. Um, so I think this was like the there was three, four. F- this was the fourth annual that actually had had an original story because one and two were just reprints because they recently just covered annual number three, which was a I believe was a George Perez uh, book with uh, Archon.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, but but yeah, this these were, um, yeah, back when annuals could just tell a big story, you know, because you got more pages, you can draw it out a little bit but even still you know this this would be what this would be a four-part miniseries now oh at least yeah you know this but but you know this reminds
0: me of like when they had the uh, G- the giant size issues you know giant size superstars giant size spider-man
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, giant size avengers and they would just tell a more uh bombastic story you know basically it would be a two-issue story crammed into one giant size
1: yeah uh because like the um where i remember that the most in the avengers and maybe you could speak for spider-man uh, you're more up, uh, up on that than i am but in the avengers there was a shit ton of them that were basically during the celestial madonna storyline mm-hmm. there was a lot there was at least two um of the king sizes that dealt with that storyline well the, the the yeah there were that's exactly right there were two uh the giant. We're well,
0: actually three because issues two, three, and four of Giant Size Avengers are all tied in in some way to the. Uh, yeah, because the one's the marriage guy. of
1: is it the marriage of Vision and the Scarlet Witch? That's that's in issue four. Four. Okay. Issue
0: three, I believe we covered on here. That's when they, uh, when they they uh, face off against the army of the undead that Kang brings. Legion from. of Legion of the Unliving. Yeah. Okay. Or is that just, the Grim Reaper? Just as good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and issue two was also another one where they uh, they, they oh. fought Kang and Ramatud, I believe. Oh right. Uh, and mm. the giant size Spider Man ones were basically very big Marvel team ups. Mm. Number one was Spider Man and Dracula.
1: Number two was Spider Man and Dracula? Yeah. Were they on the same side? No. <laughs> so it wasn't a team up. No, but it was essentially
0: Spider Man and Dracula. Mm. Uh, I know, I'm pretty sure issue three was Master of Kung Fu. Issue four was The Punisher. No, issue five might be The Punisher. I'm not sure. It, it's, I'm a little vague on it. I apologize. But, uh, but they were all team-up issues.
1: But is Yeah, it's, it's you know, and even even in, what is it, the late 80s, early 90s, when annuals became a way to tell, you could tell us, a um, at least in Marvel, not really sure well dc had it somewhat too where you could tell a a a company-wide storyline without having to interfere with the normal books or have an eight-part miniseries the annuals often would have four or six part you know you, you had atlantis attacks um of course now i'm drawing blank um there was one with the high evolutionary um oh
0: yeah They're yeah just... atlantis attacks you, you thinking of the what was it the evolutionary
1: war uh, yes thank you duh the evolutionary war but uh, but there was a few others uh days of there was one that went through just x-men titles which and the fantastic four i think it was a spinoff of the days of future past storyline with um the older franklin richards and uh the character of ahab and um you know that you know so, so there was that was what the annuals seemed to be for. And then it seemed like in the mid 2000s, the annuals kind of went away. Uh, they don't. Of course, I don't. I'm not picking up as many new comics. I have seen a few annuals recently with with, with the Avengers comics that I've been picking up, you know, going back and getting on at sales and everything. But it, I don't just does it. Do you notice it still being a big thing anymore? I don't, not a big thing, no. and, and when they come out with these annuals now,
0: they almost seem to be superfluous. like you, you don't even really need
1: to pick them up at all. They're, they're not significant stories being told. Well, I mean because with some of the older annuals, they were they were like 64 pages and 64 pages with panel layouts and story like this would take you quite a while to read. Even today's annuals are you're gonna blow through you know, it might take you mm-hmm, 10, 15 minutes instead of five. that's just because there's more pages so but um, yeah this was nice that it it was a callback to something that had happened about eight or nine issues prior that you thought was wrapped up but who you know it's curious I don't know what what the history behind this was you know if if they had they were just this was a story that somebody had in their pocket like like you were saying like an inventory story but just happened to tie into something before and was actually a pretty good story I don't know. I'm not sure mm. what, you know, what,
0: what the origin of the story is, but obviously it was Chris Claremont working
1: with, uh, with who was not his normal yeah. X-Men artist. Oh, that's so. right. Be, being Claremont. Yeah. Maybe he had, maybe he did plan this to just take place later in an a- a- annual because of the size of the story or this might've been over a two issue arc and yeah, cause he was, yeah, he was, would, would still be the writer for quite a while after this. Uh, I kind of miss the uh, old you know, Cl- Claremont days. Did you ever read the stuff that he wrote that took place after he left? Like he continued the story. Like I ex- apparently X Men from... Forever. Yeah, yeah, not 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 to be confused with the other X Men Forever miniseries that came out. Yeah, I, I started to read it and I found it to be kind of unreadable. I was getting them at the library. Um, they were all right. I mean, there was uh, it was it, I kind of treated it as. A big giant long what if story which is essentially what it is Mm -hmm. but you know there was was some weird things that were going on they had the um uh, Wolverine died Um, what was it Storm because at that point Storm had been oops uh, what the hell something pop up sorry (laughs) and my boy geez what are you doing over there very dramatic Uh, yeah Kitty had uh phased through Wolverine and, and ended up somehow drawing one of his claws into her body. And it was a bunch of weird, some weird crap going on. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess he didn't have to, he didn't have to worry about continuity at that point. He could kill off whoever he wanted because it didn't really matter.
1: Yeah. But it was, um, it went, I think there there was a couple trades. There, there was at least five or six trades, I think. So I don't know how many issues total there were. So, I mean, you he was at least 30 some odd issues at least. Uh, I'm not really some sure some of it. that
0: was contractual, I think.
1: Oh, you're
0: gonna do it and you're gonna like it. No, I, I don't think it was that. I think they were contractually obligated to pay him. So. Oh, to pay him. Oh, you know, at that point, I think they would have been better off giving him something new to write instead of just revisiting,
1: you know, ground that's already been tread. Mm. Did you ever read any of his his actual prose novels? He no. had a he had a series. I remember buying it. Um, well, I want to say that came out about the time I was in high school. Not memorable. I don't remember it, <laughs> so it didn't last that long with me. Yeah. Well, you
0: know when I met when I met him at New York Comic Con last year, he, he did strike me as a decent guy talking to him and everything, but he also struck me as a little bitter. Mm. Well, they did give him a role in the.
1: Uh, X three. Was it?
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he was watering his lawn.
1: No, there was he was in one of the other ones, wasn't he? Wasn't he in the? Um... Uh, I thought there was a Wolverine movie where he was a senator. Or was that in Days of Future Past?
0: Maybe in there. But in uh, yeah. in X3, he was watering his lawn when young Jean, Jean Grey visits. Or actually... Uh,
1: I, thought Stan Lee was, I thought Stan Lee was out watering his lawn, he too. He is also. The two of them. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Might have to go back and see that again.
0: Anyway, so how do you rate this thing?
1: Um, I am going to give the cover... I know you don't like covers that have just a blank background, but I think in this case, with the whole vampire theme, that the dark red does add a little to it. I'm not going to give it an A, although I do really like I like the figures of Storm and Kitty and Dracula more than the rest of the belly aching X-Men on the ground. So I'm going to give the cover a B, just a flat B. Um, the interior art is good in a lot of places. I don't really see any crazy inconsistencies. The dream sequence is pretty cool, pretty dark, especially when Kitty is bitten and lying, supposedly dead, and her there's a jack-in-the-box and a, and a teddy bear at her feet, and they both look sad that she's dead. I think that's a nice touch. And uh, so the art here, I'm also going to give the art a B as well. The story, I think I'm going to give the story an A, even though some of it's a little, you know, yeah, it's a comic. Who cares about all the the actual real vampire lore? It changes based on whoever writes it. So, I'm going to give the story, I'm going to give this story an A, an A because it's an annual. So overall, I'd say it's a B plus book for me. All right, uh, I don't mind the lack of background on this cover. I think there's enough
0: going on on it that. It's pretty striking. Um, I think it's moody. I think it's, I, I, I think it would actually be uh, better served if a couple of the lines were a little less heavy handed, but that's, that's all right. It's not, you
1: know, it, it's very eye catching. So I'm going to say a B on the cover as well. Oh, you know what? I just noticed that, that actually is in the book too. I forgot to bring it up in my synopsis. Imagine that. Uh, Kitty wears the Star David, and it's actually hanging around her neck in uh, on the cover on her on her shoulder see it there Mm -hmm. i had i had missed that i I just happened to spot it so sorry sorry go ahead that's okay the interior art i like the interior art i kind of like the
0: slightly less moody sinkevich i think he's got enough dark uh images in here that it's you know it's not like it lacks for 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 heavy content or anything certainly not drawn in a light-hearted style at all but I think it's easier to follow than his very, very stylistic stuff. Um, I'm going to give the, the interior auto B plus. I think it's, it's pretty solid. The story, on the other hand, kind of seems to jump around a little bit. It does play fast and loose with what's going on. It tries to fool you on things that are happening, but I don't know that it necessarily does. But on the other hand, it's engaging and it's a lot going on, but it's still a fairly quick read just the same, even though there's so much going on. Because the the story just kind of flows. So I'm going to say a B for the story as well and give it overall a B. Hmm.
1: Okay. Sounds like we're in agreement.
0: Except for your A. Well,
1: but the overall average is the same, pretty much. You got generous on the story. More generous than me on the story, that's all. Generosity is my speciality. Along with long-winded synopses. That is your speciality. (laughs) Anyway... So what do you got? What's what what you got, Mister? I got the Flash. Flash, ah, king of the empire. Oh wait, not that Flash. No, not that Flash. Oh. I just Is did the whole. Like, I
0: just did the synopsis. Did you hear it?
1: Wow, that was quick. Quick as a flash. Was it? The, did you do it with a uh, with a trench coat on? Oh, not that type of Flash either. Okay, that would be Flash Er. All right, I picked Flash number two seventy
0: six from August of nineteen seventy nine, which had a cover price, a slightly more palatable cover price of 40 cents and the cover is by dick giordano and it shows multiple images of the flash uh, with one main image and then several after images and the after images are knocking batman on his ass shoving wonder woman and then the full image has him using his yellow boots to kick the green lantern and right in the forehead <laughs> sorry
1: i thought that was great in the book but anyway
0: so the story is titled freak out Ah, freak out! And it's written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Alex Saviak, inked by Frank Ciamanti, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and lettered by Ben Oda. And the story goes something like this. <laughs> story opens at a costume party attended by Barry and Iris Allen. Iris attended as Batgirl, and Barry dressed as The Flash. Go, <laughs> I'm Fig. A, I'm a genius. They were were attacked in the last issue and are both lying prone on the ground. A guest in a Batman costume is tending to them and says that one of them is critical and one is dead. Barry is thinking to himself that they think that he's dead but that he needs to show them that that he's still alive and he struggles to get to his feet and give chase to Yorkin, the crazed maniac that had attacked them in the previous issue. He attempts to give chase but that results in him falling out of a window and the guest's go down to help him but at that point he's gone and he's off chasing Yorkin, who he catches and then pummels and his, he- his face just kind of melts him un- under the pummeling and then he, as he's doing that he starts to hear voices and wakes up strapped in a hospital bed. He vibrates through the straps and fights his way out but they give him an injection and that knocks him out and in his dreamlike state he relives the last day when they were attacked. He awakens in a wheelchair, recovering from his injuries, and he believes that he had killed Yorkin, but it turns out that was just a delusion. He's shocked to find out that it was, in fact, Iris that was killed at the party. So now we cut to the Justice League satellite, where Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, and Wonder Woman are meeting. The Flash transports up to plead for them to bring Iris back to life. They all basically tell Barry that they would if they could, but it's just not possible. Barry starts to get angry and irrational and starts to attack. Since Superman could probably stop him pretty easily, the attack causes damage to the ship's gyro. I wonder if they were eating Greek that day. <laughs> that would be gyro. Oh, de gyro. <laughs> Those are delicious, by the way. Anyway. anyway, that makes the satellite spin out of control and start to fall out of at- orbit, which means Superman has to go repair that and can't subdue the Flash. Batman lunges at Flash and misses, striking his face. Wonder Woman throws her tiara at him, but Barry vibrates to let it go through him, and then he drop kicks Green Lantern with his yellow boots. At this point, (laughs) Superman returns, and all four leaguers charge at Barry at the same time, and, well, if you want to know what happens next, you'll need to read issue 277, because this issue ends right there. Ah, to be continued. Now, this is going basically with our ongoing discussion of whether or not DC had a Bronze Age. Because this is decidedly a Bronze Age tone to it.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah,
0: I mean it's a pretty serious story with you know serious uh, serious consequences to what's going on, and uh, it's it's not that silly, lighthearted Silver Age
1: stuff that you know that DC was famous for. Well, because apparently he had uh, Barry had been uh, slipped LSD. They slipped him a Mickey. Yeah, and uh, I just in the recap something I missed over before when he's thinking about Iris and they were talking and everything. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention she was pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I,
0: I I have her
1: up, but good. Some of the only flash that I've ever read was the Carmine Infantino flash. And I don't even remember what era or where those issues fall um i i used to have a few but that that was it and i don't even think i have those any any anymore so i i don't really know or wasn't really aware how iris died and is this her actual death well her actual comic book death it is but then i think they brought her back at some point
0: Mm. like they her in the future or something
1: i know she comes back like in the future and i read the crisis on infinite earth's novel and in that, there's a lot of um, flash backstory and, and discussion to where he's in the future, I guess. With I, there's, I, it's it's been a long time since I read that. And actually, I never got that back from. Did I get that back from the comic book store? Anyway, <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. But um, does he actually kill this guy, Yorkin Or is that all just a? That's just his, his delusion. Mm. It's all an illusion. And bam, just like that, Doug Henning was there. Or J. David Weeder Yes. You decide which is real and which is an illusion.
0: Most pretentious <laughs> song ever. Anybody who knows what song that is knows that I'm
1: right. Oh, yeah. And he's got to go look at her in the morgue. Oh, man. That's just. Oof. Check it out, babe. She's naked. <laughs> oh, dude. That's
0: not right. <laughs> <laughs> no it's not it absolutely is not uh but, yeah, but I, know,
1: I, you know how thing... why don't you use that power ring yeah well, i can't it's not like you won't in the future <laughs> what are you gonna do when they when they
0: destroy coast city mfa <laughs> you just become parallax all i did was kick you
1: with a green boot you're no friend now i see you never were bastard yeah the, the yellow boot to the face that's great <laughs> But, you know, like I said, the Superman
0: would have been able to pretty much subdue him easily because he's just about as fast as the
1: Flash, and he's Superman. Yeah, yeah. But you gotta love Batman. Careful, Superman. Look at his eyes. The drug the drug's still in his, his system is acting up. What are you, uh, you're a pharmacologist now? Well, it's that same
0: superpower that, that lets him identify werewolves from a still photograph.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this man has signs of lycanthropy.
0: But 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 he did get basically owned. He tried to, to dive on the flash. <laughs> and flash the out flash just moved of the way and let him hit, let
1: see, him dive on his own face. He 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 pwned them all. I mean, yeah, he pretty much. Uh, well, okay, yeah. Superman did just get taken out of the fight because he damaged some equipment. That see, Superman they got some had. tzatziki sauce on the gyro. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, fourteen more degrees to the left, and it'll be safe to activate the backup system. Well, but but uh, you, you know you could also no prize away the fact that he he
0: owned them all so much with the fact that they were probably taking it easy on him. That's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because they don't they knew
0: he wasn't himself.
1: Yeah. So what happens after this? Or do I have to go? Uh, I'm going to have to wait.
0: Well, as best as I can recall, and it's been a long time since I read this run, uh, they don't bring Iris back to life and she stays dead for quite some time. And there comes a point where he starts dating again. I think he may date Zatanna at some point. Hmm. And That's the point, the point when Iris fast. came back, the point so. when Iris came back was uh, was when I was not collecting, so I, I don't know how that
1: was explained away. Hmm. Well, I'm sure someone out there will enlighten us because we're too lazy to look it up ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> that way uh, we have.
0: But did this? You know, I thought this was a pretty solid issue, and it was part of what became kind of a solid run. Even though I don't remember all the details
1: of the run, I was a little confused um and i think we had brought this up on another show oh oh oh, on the one where we did the batman one um with uh with Rachel ghoul and that one felt more like a bronze a bronze age book more than a silver age and and what i pointed out there was that there was no recap Mm. as to what happened and when i started reading this i had no idea what was going on well they give you the recap in his little dream sequence though Right, but I had to get to that dream sequence. I'm like, what was, like? How? What's going on? Oh, okay. But that didn't happen in in the beginning. When I saw this, I'm like, wait a minute. There's two flashes, and Batgirl. But that doesn't look like Batgirl. What's going on? So that's because but, Batgirl was Iris. I know. That's why I was confused. I didn't realize that at first. So it, it, it took me it took me like a page or so in to realize, oh, OK, this is a costume party. All right. I see what's going on. But 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 yeah, like like Marvel, I mean, like, well, unlike Marvel, which what we noticed is that there there has been stories that don't have the like page one or two recap as to what's going on. This you just jump right in and you caught up along the way. Well, the page one recap is a
0: fairly new convention. That's not something that they were doing. You know many years ago well this... uh, but, but usually usually they'd you know they'd start the story and then they'd say "Confused true believer
1: and then they'd <laughs> just tell you what happened yeah yeah this this was more like an in-story picked it up as you went where i don't know it just didn't seem as blatant as it is in some of the marvel books at the time which that was fine i eventually figured out what was going on i was a little freaked out by the melting face the guy getting beat up. I hate you. I hate you because you're attractive. And oh, wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but like I said, I think that, you know, the D, DC did not have a clear Bronze Age. I still stand by that as a, uh, you know, as, as a statement. But they had glimpses of the Bronze Age. And this is one of them. They had a bronze dusting? Yeah, you know. But as, as we talked about, they'll, they'll, they would have a Bronze Age type story that you'd say, okay, now, now the book has matured, and then they'd go back to something like totally silly.
1: Mm. And,
0: and you'd say, okay, you know, it, it just never seemed to stick. The one series that it seemed to really stick in for me was the New Teen Titans. That was a, but that was a book that was... But that was almost in the 80s. So yeah, that was, that and, was and really... that was Marv Wolfman and, and George Perez, who had worked at Marvel. right. You know, Firestorm came over that way. He was kind of a Bronze Age character. Also written by, I believe, Len Wein, another Marvel import. So I, I, I think you know they, like I said, they had glim- glimpses and, and moments of Bronze Age type stories, but they, they just were not consistent. You know, they, they. You know, and I think Superman's the easiest one to give the examples of, because you'd have a serious story, and then the next issue, you'd have like you know one of the silliest premises you you know you could find. You'd have Lois leaving with another hero, saying, you know, oh you won't marry me, Superman, so I'm leaving with so and so. You know what I mean? And it's just like so stupid when you're trying to put it into the context of of the more sophisticated stories that were coming out at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So again, you know, Bronze Age type stories, yes bronze age no that's that's my my take on dc and it it all depends on you know we discussed it in the uh the episode where we did the ds9 books in response to tim Tim elliott's letter that it it really depends on your definition if you're if you're defining bronze age by the content then i then i stand by my argument if you're defining the ages purely by date then the content means nothing, and, and you just say, you know, if it came out from this year to that year, it's bronze, you know, then that's all.
1: Yeah, yeah, like you said before, that's more, it seems like, it's just a designation for, you know, just to categorize a book, you know, price-wise or, you know, se- selling-wise.
0: But when I think personally of Bronze Age, I expect a certain sensibility, and, and I mm. think this book had it, both in art and in story. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm just so, a gr- I'm just agreeable. You are agreeable tonight, so I I really like this cover. I think this is such a cool cover. Uh it's the head. It's, it's not iconic, but it's pretty damn close. Uh, I'm gonna say a minus on the cover. Dick mm. Giordano. I mean, where do you go wrong? The interior art I don't quite like as much. Alex Saviak inside, but it's uh, he does a pretty good job of storytelling. Some of the faces are a little. Simplistic in the way they're drawn.
1: Is Yorkin uh, supposed to look deranged? I mean, yes, crazy yes, he's here? supposed to be oh, a okay. Man, all right, okay. Uh, now, uh, obviously, because he has a ripped, he has a shirt with no sleeves. Yeah, he, he looks kind of like Blockbuster. Oh wait, he's only missing one sleeve. I take that back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Poor fashion choice, or poor fashion fashion choice.
0: But I think overall, the interior art is pretty solid, although not quite up to the level of the cover. I'll say a B minus on the interior art. And the story, I think it's a pretty cool story. You know, he's basically tripping on LSD. Some good stuff going on there. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go also a minus on the story, and I'm gonna give the book overall a B plus. Mm. Um,
1: all right. Uh, cover. <laughs> he's taken out three of the the Justice Leaguers in about you know probably a second knocks batman on his keister well on his head first and he's uh hank pym and wonder woman as he's going by oh sorry and uh just you know he's he's uh the karate kid and green lantern in the face although green lantern looks the model looks a little off i don't know it just doesn't look like hal jordan but that's not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm i'm still gonna give the cover a b plus it's still a good cover uh, the interior art, yeah, the story does go pretty good, and it flows nice. There's some inconsistency, and it's not as good as the cover, so I'm going to say C-plus on that. But the story it, itself is, is pretty cool, and I know I say this a lot. Oh, this is, makes me interested, and I want to go read this. which I don't know where I'm going to have this time to go read these books that I don't even have, let alone find. But uh, Someday. There'll be time. There'll be time enough, and then I'll break my glasses. <laughs> I'll just be old Bill Meredith as I'm putting on my reading glasses. You know, I got to wear 2X reading glasses? This is killing me. No. Anyway, because I refuse to get regular glasses. But anyway, the story, I'm going to give the story an A. So that will average out to a B. Yeah, so B. We're pretty similar on, on our ratings here because
0: mm-hmm. you are agreeable. That's me. All right. So that'll do it for our two issues for this week. But let's take a look at some email. 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 Let's go email. look at the email. Let's go look at the email. Uh, at the
1: email. And I don't have a called
0: up yet. It's been... So we could start with Mr. Russell Bragg for an email titled, Back to the Bins, number 188, Shag the Bill Whisperer and his sexy bunny. <laughs> Hello, fellows. Great show as always. It's always nice to hear the irreversible sh uh, excuse me, <laughs> to hear the irreversible spam. Wait, that doesn't sound right. The shag carpet. <laughs> no. Oh, now I remember the irredeemable shag. Paul, do you get a boomerang? Do you or... get the boomerang cartoon channel? The Flintstones are on there all the time. I have the Flintstone Complete Series DVD set with the plastic Stone Age looking <laughs> TV set box. I've seen that box. I do not get Boomerang,
1: unfortunately. Uh, I think I I think I, I get it. Uh, you love the Flintstones. Oh, I do love the Flintstones. I always did. Nice and, and slow, see? That's the way you do it. Nice and slow. Tell your friend there. Barney, that's the guy. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Okay, Calvin and Hobbes was brought up also, and I have the complete box set. Boy, is it heavy. Calvin and <laughs> was never an animated series, was it? Not that I know of. I don't believe it ever was. And I think it might have lost a little something from its cartoon, from its you know comic strip. So I, I think it may be best that they didn't. Mm. It, they might have like kitted it up more. So okay, I really need to get some some sort of shtick for my podcast. We we, we Bill and I are dripping with shtick. If you want to take some, just go ahead and steal it from
1: us. I There's got more I got shtick sh- than we know what to do with. I got shtick coming out all over uh, on me. I can't stop the shtick that happens. Yeah, that's i think that should be our uh catch this from ch- now on stick happens Sch-tick. <laughs> make that a t-shirt <laughs> you know everybody else is doing t-shirts <laughs> we might as well.
0: you guys have i've got nowhere else to go and it's no jaws j david we leader has you can call me dave and the magnum pi theme song which he hasn't done in some time I'll dun, figure dun, something dun, out. Dun, 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 dun. I guess I do have some 80 more episodes I have to do, so there's no hurry. Uh, you know, Russell has shtick. His shtick is whatever we tell, talk about, he says, oh, I never read that or I never saw that. <laughs> <laughs> That's Russell's shtick. <laughs> I did notice that you didn't make sh- Shag do the Lalas. Yeah, that was a mistake. Mm. Did he refuse? No, we just forgot to ask him. I've been practicing my lalas if I am ever privileged enough to be invited to the show someday. Actually, Russell, we did invite you, or I, I did invite you on, but we just haven't gotten around to finding the right time to do it, and I apologize for that. We do need to get you on. You are you're on a list of several people that I'd really like to get on here, uh, including, uh, who else have we talked to? Mark back, uh Chris Franklin, um, Matt Huntsworth. There's a few people that we really would like to get on, and... And I'd like to definitely get that going.
1: Of course you know if, uh, you know, maybe a nice little donation could always move you to the front of the... Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Uh, Russell's been generous. He sent me books. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What? What do you mean he sent you books? I didn't get anything. Yeah, well, because he sent them to me. Goddamn dirty ape. Uh, Where was I? Uh,
0: I might have trouble grading books or picking a book or a number of other things. Hey, that's not me. Dr. Bill stole my Ray Parker Jr. joke when Paul was talking about Ray Park. I was going to write in exactly what Dr. Bill said. Ghostbusters was his only hit, wasn't it? I enjoyed all the comics discussed, even though I didn't have any of them. See, there's Russell Shtick. I'm still hoping to have all the comics discussed on one show someday. Keep up the great work, and once again, thank you for keeping me entertained at work. Yes, I was at work for this episode. Russell Bragg. Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comic Presents show. Thank you, sir.
1: Always good to hear from you. What's next? We have one from David David Thornton. Is this a new um, a new um, emailer? Hmm. It says, thought you guys might like this. Spider-Girls number 120. And I believe, if I remember, this is a White Rabbit cosplayer picture mm-hmm. from the Spider-Man cross. Oh, yes. Ooh.
0: Um, okay and on to the next email <laughs> thank wow. you for that
1: david well we're gonna have to link this in the show or something
0: wow all right since, since, since you read the one that was like less than a sentence you want to read the next one. Oh, okay
1: uh it is from mr luke they say some say he knows a lot about charlton comics but we know him as luke jack and eddie And his subject is everything you always wanted to know about Charlton Hot Rod Comics, but were afraid to ask. Pliers of the time stream. Hey, fellas, it's a slushy, icy day here in South Carolina, which makes it a perfect time to kick one's feet up with an episode of Back to the Bins. Even one which had had shag in it. Hmm. I did have to laugh that several months after Paul and Scott had their discussion about Marvel and DC team up books we get an issue featuring both a Marvel team-up and a World's Finest. (laughs) Not familiar with either of these issues, but like most Back to the Bins aficionados, team-up books are almost always worth pulling out of the cheap bins they frequent. As far as Dragon Wheels number 30, the series was previously titled Top Eliminator, itself previously titled Teenage Hot Rodders, Charlton did numerous hot rod comics in the 1960s and into the 1970s, including titles such as Drag Strip Hot Rodders, Grand Prix Hot Rod Racers, Hot Rods and Racing Cars, Surfing Wheels, and others. These series were primarily the work of one man, Jack Keller. Keller is probably best known as the artist of Kid Cult Outlaw over at Marvel, a series he drew for more th- for more than twelve years. <clears throat> He had done a lot of work on Atlas anthology and genre books and did freelance work for Charlton's War and Western books as well. By the time Kid Colt had moved primarily into reprints, Keller went pretty much to Charlton full-time and brought his love of race cars to the myriad Hot Rod comics, most of which he drew and some of which he wrote as well. Keller's work is neither flashy nor particularly standout, but he does get put over by Comics Pro's for his storytelling skills, he's similar. He was similar to other artists from the 1950s who were more, no, who were bleh, more known for their dependability and consistency rather than the bombast of their pencils. He still has some fans to this point. Mort Todd, who has been publishing an independent Charlton revival, has released five issues of Hot Rods, each featuring 64 pages of reprints of Jack Keller's Hot Rod comics, shot from the original Charlton masters. So while Dragon Wheels was an odd, downright strain <laughs> read for you guys, I appreciated you guys discussing this obscure little sh- corner of genre comics. You can check out the Charlton Revival at http slash slash charlton.html. Stay toasty, fellas. Luke.
0: Once again, Luke proves to be a vast well of knowledge of things that will never make you any money. <laughs> but, uh, but certainly appreciated by us, because pretty cool. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Luke. Our next email is from Chris and Cindy Franklin. Dear Paul, Dr. Bill, and Shag, I guess. You guys let Shag in? Wow. Well, okay, let's go with that. Seriously, it was great to hear Shag on the show. I was also happy to hear you guys discuss MTU-131 with Spidey, Frogman, and the White Rabbit. I bought this issue off the stands, and I enjoyed it then, as now. If Shag comes back, you should cover the earlier MTU-121 with Spidey and the Human Torch that introduces Eugene as Frogman. It's by the same creative team and just as fun, if not more touching. I bought that one right off the racks, too. Nice use of Jefferson Airplane for the background music in this sequence... Ah, oh, thank you. An instrumental version of Rainbow Connection would have worked too. Yes, it would have. <laughs> oh, and yes, White Rabbit is pretty hot, especially on the cover. Paul, sorry to be in the corrections department. And unfortunately, the rest of Chris's email was lost to obscurity.
1: Wait, I was able to recover it right here. Would okay. you like me to keep reading? No, I'll, I'll finish. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Paul, sorry to be in the corrections department, but Batman being called The Batman actually came back into vogue with the return, of, return to the Creature of Night take... In late 1969, early 70.
1: Oh, so that wasn't the Madonna Vogue. Gotcha. Exactly.
0: Your classic O'Neill Robbins Adams Novak Batman was usually referred to as the Batman. And that is one of the then current Batman comic logos designed by Neil Adams, but certainly influenced by old Batman logos, which in turn inspired the TV show logo. Oof. (laughs) <laughs> i've long admired the cover to world's finest 214 nick Cardi, superman the vigilante and a werewolf equals nothing but win <laughs> sorry to hear that the interiors didn't quite match up but i still want this comic this is the earth one vigilante by the way he met the jla in their own title a few times and he has a nephew who is the crime fighter called the swashbuckler at this point world's finest was edited by julius schwartz and he didn't go for all those wacko continuity Earth-B stuff. Superman super aim power is like super flare, Or maybe it's super discount toothpaste power. <laughs> Not really much to say about the Charlton Racing comic. I couldn't even find it on Mike's Amazing World, since Charlton renamed their comics every second Tuesday. Great show as always, fellas. Chris Franklin, Supermates Podcast, Power Records Podcast, when Shag is too busy to record with Rob. Thank you, Chris. And again, we we mentioned you. Just if, assuming you were listening, you heard that uh, you know we talked about having you on, and we do plan to do that hopefully sometime soon. Uh, and thank you for all the information. It's pretty
1: cool. Ah, wow, you're gonna have all these people on. You gonna bump me off or something? <laughs> no, no. You could be on once in a while. Oh, okay. All right. But I gotta bring a book, right? Damn. Oh man. It's so hard. I hold it's in my hard. hand the final email. The final. Okay. Oh. You all right? Oh, oh, you're doing actual paper? What do you have? A paper copy?
0: No, I have a piece of paper in front of me, and I'm pretending that it's the email. because oh. that's that's what Andy does on uh, Hey Kids Comics. Oh, yeah. I'm stealing yeah. from Andy yet again. We,
1: well, that's 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 the way things go. That's yeah, the,
0: uh, the other email in the inbox was the Tim Elliot one that you read last week uh, on the uh, DS9 show. So this is the final email coming up.
1: Oh yeah 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 yeah. And Dr. Bill will read it. Oh, okay. That's what I was wondering. Well, what? The, what? The, who cares if you had a piece of paper in your hand? If I'm reading the email, I don't have a piece of paper, man. I'm looking at a screen. Why do I sound like Bud Abbott? <laughs> I don't know you, because you're supposed to sound like Lou <laughs> Costello. Oh yeah. See, I don't even know who I am. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. I should have done that. I, oh man, I'm. I'm. Anyway, and it is again our friend Mr. Russell Bragg back to the bins. 189 Fire Water and CM3. Yeah, you know me. Hey guys. It was nice that Scott got to join you for this episode, even though he didn't get to read his comic since you ran long. Hey. Oh, he does say your show could never be long enough for me. I think we were all tired old men and we had to go to bed. I think you mentioned that Scott's issue would have been a Captain Marvel story from World's Finest 254. Wouldn't you know it? I have issues 253 and 255. But no, 254. I think it's been a while since I had a comic you guys were talking about, and this episode was no different. I didn't have either one. I will mention something that amused me. Every once in a while, one of you would say, well, that brought the room to silence, or, and the room goes silent. But due to the truncated silence application, there is no long silence. So it just sounds funny. I wanted to ask Scott if he's there, if he has the book Shazam. Scott, are you here? Nope. (laughs) From the 40s to the 70s. It's in the same vein as Superman or Batman from the 30s to the 70s. It's nothing like those because it's from the 40s to the 70s. Well, it's also about Batman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm Batman. I don't have it yet, but I want it. (laughs) But the price is too high for me. I, I, too, didn't care for the name CM3. Yeah, you know me. Which, according to Wikipedia, at least, it was short for Captain Marvel 3, with Billy being Captain Marvel CM1. I got nothing for CM1. He's the one. And Mary being CM2. Electric Moogaloo. I think one of you thought that, or, or, or so he didn't accidentally say Captain Marvel. Either way, it's a stupid sounding name or moniker. I hope all three of you get to do a bins again real soon. Guess that's all for now, and I'm eagerly awaiting F Troop Month. Wonder if there are any absolutes or trades anywhere. And that is once again from Mr. Russell Bragg, host of the DC Comics Presents show. I will go out on a limb and speculate that there are no absolutes or trades of the F Troop books. Oh, surely you must be must be mistaken. There have to be something somewhere. No, right? I'm not, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> ba ba Well, that brought the room down.
0: Truncate silence, baby. Zing! Bada bing. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic
1: book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is
0: produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.2truefreaks.com, and is a registered trademark of DeMonzoCore of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved.
1: Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Ah, what is this? This is, I have a stuffed fish. This is, uh, I, I know this. Nemo, that's what it is. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. Why is there a Nemo? Is there stuffed Nemo on my desk? And a flash ring. I got a flash ring. I got a stuffed Nemo. I got some Toontown cards. I have this. This is what's on my desk. I have a package of chicken ramen noodle. I don't even even eat chicken ramen noodle. <laughs> n- 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 blah, whatever. It's on my desk. <sighs> it's like I'm losing hey, ground hey. Every, every day. I'm like, it's like the Viet Cong are in my house. They infiltrate everything, everything in my life, in my desk. And I fight that everything fight every day, like tunnel rats. Sorry, I guess I could stop venting. (laughs) I love my children. I love my wife.